How does the evolving discourse on sexuality influence psychoanalytic practice and training? In an era where sexual dysphoria is seemingly on the rise, particularly among younger generations, questions arise about the current positioning of Freud's drive theory and the status of sexual issues in psychoanalytic education. Are we witnessing a shift where sexuality loses its central place within psychoanalytic thought? In this episode of the IPA Talks on Psychoanalysis podcast series, we explore these questions through a comprehensive discussion. The focus is on the potential diminution of sexual themes in psychoanalytic case reports as observed in recent years and its implications for psychoanalytic methodology. The discourse originated in the 2021 Supervisors and Training Analyst Conference of the German Psychoanalytical Association in Köln, Germany, and quickly spread to other places, reflecting global concerns about the reduced emphasis on sexuality in candidates' reports for qualification. This exploration revisits some cornerstones of Freud's seminal theories, but also examines the more modern theories and psychoanalytic techniques that emphasize transference, counter-transference dynamics for the understanding of sexual fantasies and identities. The role of societal changes, shifts in sexual identity and the impact of media on sexual behavior and expression are critically analyzed. The paper featured in this episode has been previously presented at various events including a SPP webinar and the 53rd IPA Congress in Cartagena. It has been translated and published in several psychoanalytic journals, and the IPA Talks on Psychoanalysis podcast series now offers it to its listeners in German, English, Spanish and Italian. Listeners are invited to refer to the written details of this episode to access the English text, which includes references to Lucian Freud's images on sexuality throughout the life cycle, and to find the link to the volume of the APA's Journal of Psychoanalysis, where it has recently been published with two commentaries. Rotraut de Klerk is a renowned psychoanalyst of the German Psychoanalytical Association and has been a long-term guest of the British Psychoanalytic Society. Her work notably intersects psychoanalysis with culture and public discourse. She has carried out the Psychoanalysis in Literature, Literature in Psychoanalysis series at the Literaturhaus Frankfurt fostering dialogue between contemporary writers and Freud's text. 
The clerk's clinical interests include theories on the dynamic interplay of narcissism and object love, of the unconscious and changes in sexuality including homosexuality, neosexualities and the concept of masochism. The clerk's contributions extend to psychoanalytic portraits of literary figures like Albert Camus, Virginia Woolf, painters like Maria Lesnik and notably Lucian Freud. She chairs the EPS Psychoanalysis and Literature Group and serves as a consultant on the IPA Culture Committee. Her recent projects focus on the place of sexuality in psychoanalytic theory and practice today. I am Gaetano Pellegrini with Talks on Psychoanalysis, the IPA podcast devoted to topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide featuring the original voices of the authors. This podcast series, published by the IPA, is part of the activities of the IPA Communication Committee and is produced by the IPA podcast editorial team. Editing and post-production, Massimiliano Guerrieri. And to stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. My thinking on the subject came about against the backdrop of the Supervisors and Training Analysts Conference in Cologne, in Germany. The participants shared a concern that work on sexuality was very little referred to in the case reports that the candidates need to write for qualification to becoming a full analyst and member in the DPV. It started me to ask around in other societies if they observed the same trend. With this podcast, we have the opportunity to share and get a more overall picture from the situation in the other European societies as well as for the other regions of the IPA. When the director of training asked me if I could think of giving a paper on the disappearance of sexuality in the case reports and the supervisions of the candidates, but further in contemporary psychoanalysts analysis as a whole, with my thinking on sexual fantasies, sexual identity, sexual relationships, and sexualization in trauma in the mirror of the supervisions, I first recoiled. The field seemed too broad, too complex, too controversial, and too topical. Why too topical? Because sexuality nowadays is so charged with speculation about the zeitgeist that objective assessment is difficult to obtain. We ourselves as psychoanalysts are affected by today's landslide in the area of sexuality in the same way as our students and our patients are, crushing our so far familiar concepts and approaches. Surprising phenomena arise. According to an online sex podcast by Die Zeit, a German periodical entitled Sex in the Media, and other reports, the sexual activity of young people today is decreasing instead of increasing, despite the omnipresence of sexual content in the media.
One of the articles was captioned with a picture that made me the most impression. A neatly dressed Asian couple lay motionless on top of each other, seemingly not knowing what to do in this position. If there should be a volatilization of the sexual, after a word by the Swiss anthropologist and psychoanalyst Paul Parin, how then do the two sides of the coin, a noisy, large-scale media dissemination of sex on the one hand, and a de facto decline in the sexual activity of individuals on the other, fit together? Is it even so? And if, how does this apparent contradiction show up in the material of patients, in the case reports and in the mirror of the supervisions? Could it may be precisely this seeming contradiction which makes it difficult to put the matter of the sexual into words? In fact, the idea of the listlessness of the sexes on one another has been circulating since the 1960s, the times of the student revolt. Sexuality was primarily attributed to narcissistic motives, promoted as a merchandise in a capitalist consumer society, being more easily to satisfy and less dangerous, that is, involving less anxiety, guilt and shame than libidinally driven sexuality. This is a quote from Raimund Reiche and Volkmar Sigusch. I have myself found it necessary to make a conceptual distinction between sex and sexuality when turning to Lucien Freud's paintings to find a criterion for differentiating between pornography and art. I was pressed by such parts of the public who despised the display of his paintings of naked women and men without understanding the meaning. Sex is a rather harmless because superficial momentary process, whereas sexuality is an involvement that encompasses a person as a whole. Sexuality is a lifelong project spanning from infancy to old age, a task, a challenge with the possibility to fail. That is the truly shocking. Lucien Freud put into painting what his grandfather, Sigmund Freud, found words for in the narratives of his case studies as we know them. Anna O, Dora, the Red Man, the Wolf Man, and adorable little Hans. Under the keyboard, oversexed and underfucked, on the social construction of lust, the sociologist Iris Oswald Rinner explains the paradox. The more society as a whole loses its cultural bond with the sexual drive, the more flashy are the images that appear on the scene. In consequence, the expectations to perform are too high and desire vanishes. In other words, living in an oversexed world makes us numb from the bombardment by the media with sex and nudity. We may ask, is it indeed the case that lust is disappearing? Would then the disappearance of sexuality from the candidate's case histories not only be a consequence, a reflection of a more general societal trend? The answer seems more complex, 
It starts out by raising the fundamental question, what actually do we as psychoanalysts consider as sexual? What is sexuality and what are the sexual contents? What role do we attribute to fantasies? What to the body? What are the issues in the treatment and how can we as analysts talk about sex and sexuality? How is sexuality shaped? more than a hundred years after Freud, in the intimate exchange between patients and analysts, and the change technique and the, the prevalent influence of transference-countertransference analysis. Dealing with sexuality among colleagues involves sharing concepts. In previous years, it was most obvious to attach sexual identity to the binary difference of the primary genitals, male-female. This conceptualization today is in the process of being dissolved. It began already in the 60s, when a feminist supervisor of a very difficult case asked me if I believed that the body was destiny. I mumbled a muffled, of course not, but I felt left alone with the case. At the same time, another supervisor, a man, asked me, if I could not, in the cavities on my patient's neck, so-called salt cellars, detect a rejection of the female role. I also felt left alone. The times of the 60s in Germany marked the beginning of this landslide. We have moved from fixed concept of sexual identity to a fluid one. However, it may well be that we rather moved from a certain interpretation of Freud's texts with a focus on hierarchy and authority, expressed in the idea of the primacy of genitality, which bundles the partial drives, to a new, more flexible perspective. We could have taken already from Freud's studies on hysteria that sexuality is a fluent concept, vexing, it often enough comes in new forms and in disguises. Such disguises are the work of the unconscious, defenses against guilt and shame. They need to be understood in their particularity of this costume for this individual. To this aim, Freud used the technique of interrogation as an unsparing elucidation of the symptom. His attitude was analogous to that of a doctor who is used to looking for a causal relationship of the illness. Freud's professional self-image was that of a medical doctor, then as an archaeologist, but also a novelist. In the Dora case, Freud takes up one of her symptoms after another to explain its content as autoerotic sexual activity. He constructs a line from Dora's investment of her sensitive lip zone. Freud reports that Dora was a thumb sucker, making reference to earliest erotic pleasures of nipple and mouth, moving on to the adolescent fantasy about the intercourse of her father with Frau K. as a fellatio at os only to come back in retrospect to the recognition that Dora was in homosexual love with Foucault. Hence, we can assume 
returning to her earliest forms of erotic satisfaction with the breast nipple, a very vivid example, by the way, of apricot. Freud describes a chain of interweavings of bodily and psychic functioning mediated by unconscious fantasy. He deducted the link between a former and a later phenomenon from psychologic, arriving at the end by the technique of interrogation on the part of the analyst and insight on the part of the patient. Today, we understand that the sexual investment of a body part, a symptom, a fantasy or dream, needs not to be unearthed. Freud used the word entreissen, tear the secrets away from her in the Dora case. It rather needs to be rediscovered again and again by a more flexible method. We all know that it was his rigid technique to make Dora flee from the treatment with Freud. She could not trust a father figure, and she wanted to keep her secrets to herself, her longings for breast, not a penis. So, how do we psychoanalytically deal today with a sexual problem, a sexual symptom in recognition of the impact of fantasies? Should one undress the fantasies, as Freud thought, completely, trace them back to naked, to their origins, and verbally communicate to the patient what one has found? Does it lead anywhere? Does it not just increase resistance? Are the pitfalls not too big and too numerous, as Freud experienced himself with Dora? To my mind, Freud entangled himself here, on one hand, by proclaiming the unconsciousness of the material, and on the other, by trying to get at it, by technique close to conscious insight. Freud had to experience, in the case of Dora, how one meaning conceals another, and behind it yet another, and another, or its opposite, and that the meanings he found were possibly not what he thought was meant but a reflection of his own projections. Today, with a method of understanding the scene and transference-counter-transference analysis, we have more subtle tools for understanding the meaning of a disorder. However, we have to admit that our foundations for understanding the role of fantasies in our Sexualleben were laid by Freud with the help of his scientifically oriented method. Sexuality today, I maintain, is still at the origins, at the roots of psychoanalysis and hence of the neurosis. Time has not changed this. The Oedipus complex has not dissolved. For Freud, however, two important premises applied that are no longer self-evident today and not shaped and not shared by everyone, and not shared by everyone. One is the libidinal drive nature of sexuality with the Oedipus complex, and related to this, the central importance of repression. With his writings, Freud did not only provide enlightenment in the field of clinical psychoanalysis. To him, 
the scientific and social benefit of his work was often enough his primary concern. For Freud, the task of naming repression on sexual conflict as a causes behind pathological symptoms was even more urgent because he was interested in showing not only the individual but also the collective denial in society, including the denial of the consequences of repression for our civilization, the upsurge and dominance of aggression leading to war and destruction. In addition to his individual case histories, as with Dora, Little Hans and the others, he also contributed to a more profound understanding of society with his cultural works. How do we talk then? In what language? How do we write about sexuality? The most complex subject there is involving at the same time the body and the psyche in the interrelatedness, inner and outer reality, and the role of fantasy. Not everybody is a master of language as Freud was, and we have lost a common language as psychoanalysts. Could this then also influence the conceptualization of the patient's illnesses, and possibly have an effect on the central place of Freud's theory in the psychoanalytic landscape on the whole? These are our questions when we look at the place of sexuality in psychoanalysis today. With the disappearance of the diagnosis of hysteria being largely replaced by traumatic reaction and other diagnostics, we might not classify Dora as hysteric. We may see her traumatization in the foreground, the deception by her father, he used her by driving her into the arms of Han Kar in order to justify his own erotic involvement with Frau Kar. Also, in psychoanalytic therapeutic work today, the focus would no longer be on making repressed sexual content conscious. It is more on such processes that lead to a change in the person as a whole, a process of growth which is based in the development of the therapeutic relationship between the two people, patient and analyst. What we can see as the effects of such changes is that the lack of direct sexual reference in the material is related to a common shift of attention today in moving sexuality to the margins. This is a trend in psychoanalytic training and could account for the disappearance of sexuality in the mirror of supervisions and the case reports of the candidates. As I continued to deal with the questions about sexuality today, I successively remembered three classic papers that have accompanied me up to now from my own training. Firstly, Freud's already mentioned work from 1905, Fragments of a Case of Hysteria, the Dora case. Furthermore, his work, A Child is Beaten, Contribution to the Knowledge of the Origins of Sexual Perversions from 1919. And thirdly, the work by Moses Laufer on the central masturbation fantasy. The central masturbation fantasy, the final sexual organization, and adolescence from 1976. 
These works all reflect the emergence and development of sexual fantasies out of the Oedipal situation, beginning in early childhood and continuing into adolescence, and they contribute to an understanding of adult sexuality, which now includes the operation of the mature genitals. Added to this was my own experience in high-frequency high frequency analysis with a young man addicted to internet pornography, a work which I have discussed with colleagues in various contexts and published under different headings like addiction, like perversion, and also as male hysteria. It raises in particular the question whether media images have replaced, displaced, or at any rate changed the form and content of sexual fantasy. It is questionable whether sexuality actually disappears from candidates' representations of their cases, or whether there are now new forms with which sexuality disguises itself. I am thinking of the increase in bulimia, anorexia, cutting, self-mutilation and affectations of the skin in young girls and adolescents. We may add the wave of sex-changing operations, which may be seen as the expression of a hysterical conflict where the fantasies behind remain unearthed due to the unavailability of suitable psychoanalytic concepts or their blunt rejection. There are influences that deduce the desire for genital sexual activity, be it the flooding with images of sexual content, be it physical exhaustion, be it other causes such as physical intrusion, like the kiss from Hankar in the case of Dora, humiliation or manifest attacks. However, it is a merit of psychoanalysis and thus of Freud to have emphasized the significance of fantasies for sexuality, the sensation of pleasure and its inhibition at the very center of his theory. It is above all due to the conflictual nature of the Oedipus situation, including fears, feelings of guilt and shame, that symptoms can arise. According to Freud, these feelings of anxiety, guilt and shame result from the drive-bound nature of the inherently conflictual Oedipal situation, and they are therefore, as Freud says, only conditionally dependent on the surrounding social conditions. This statement opens the door to an understanding of the origins of the above symptoms cited as hysteric even today, although, as said, this diagnosis seems almost completely to have vanished in favor of the diagnostic of a traumatic development and other forms put into the ICD-10. ICD if taken up by today's responsible medical bodies, it could have far-reaching consequences for treatment. We can detect and understand from content of young girls' fantasies the self-protective measures they seek to defend against sexual intrusion, be it in reality or in fantasy, in the wish to become a boy. This, 
Freud makes very clear in his paper on masochism. Ein Kind wird geschlagen. It depicts a complex process, difficult to use simplification and reductionism. What then of the complexity of sexual matters in the cases of the candidates gets taken up, articulated, put in words and written about in their reports for supervisions? Is the universality of the Oedipus situation, according to Freud, I quote again, only conditionally dependent on the surrounding social conditions, still an issue? Is the centrality of sexuality in its relatedness to the sexual drive still recognized? And in this context, the importance of masturbation with the specific content of the masturbatory fantasy as we have seen it in Dora, a point that Laufer strengthens with this concept of the central masturbation fantasy? Do we recognize its meaning for sexual maturation in adolescence? And does it get worked through in the analyses? Sexuality, human sexuality, I maintain, needs longitudinal studies. In a recent conference on neuroscience, someone made the remark that psychoanalysts understood very little about sex. That may be so, and I strongly recommend the introduction of a course on sexology in our psychoanalytic training programs. But what psychoanalysts do know about is fantasies, and they should make use of this knowledge in their consulting rooms to the benefits of their patient's cure. The technique of free association on the part of the patient and the use of evenly suspended attention on the analyst's side relies on language alone. No pills, no hormone manipulation, no changing sex operations on the body. We possess what it takes to treat the above symptoms if paid attention to the fantasies and those behind and behind, and behind. The first place to investigate the sexual fantasies is, of course, one's own analysis in the presence of an analyst who is prepared to go along in knowing the limitations and secure them. Possibly, it is an idea, today, under the influence of the optic relation theories and Melanie Klein, it is less dangerous to talk and write about aggression than about love, desire, autoerotic love, and masturbation. The level of intensity and sophistication that our technique has reached today, including picking up pre-verbal body communications in the transference countertransference analysis, may have as a downside a decline in speaking explicitly about sexual contact content. There is a fear of accusation, transgression, and me too. Freud's rappel au chat, au chat, is it still happening? Whether the disappearance of sexuality from the case reports of the candidates is related to such processes or similar experiences, that is, whether there is a price that has to be paid when working in dense transference countertransfer relationships will be a matter of further discussion. As training analysts, 
we have to think about how to listen and speak with the candidates on their own sexuality. They must be given the room to investigate freely. Otherwise, the tendency for avoidance of the sexual material is reinforced. Their desire vis-à-vis training cases, their own training cases, needs to be brought in and understood profoundly, unless there is a risk for transgressions. This point has been raised in relation to border violations with patients, but I think it has a more general meaning. How do we find ways not to evade the subject of sexuality between patient and analyst when it is considered too dangerous? How to keep the spark, the spark of errors, alive? This is what the patients come for to us, with their depressions, their anxieties, and the compulsions. They have a right that we turn to them with a spark, to only then help them further on doing the painful work of renunciation, that their own wishes will not be fulfilled with this object of desire, the analyst, just as it had not been possible to be fulfilled with their primary objects, father, mother, siblings, grandfather, grandmother, uncles and aunts the objects of early infantile sexual desires, the family, the Oedipal constellation. It is still today the most frequent place where transgressions take place. This does not mean that desire is bad. To the contrary, it is a spark of life, a derivative of the life drive that we are not allowed to deny our patients out of the fierce from our own unresolved neurotic Oedipal conflicts. To that, we need to pay attention. Thank you for your listening.